0: Uh, chauvinism, and uh, there's a big focus on gender-based violence right now. And I, will, you know, I would encourage you in this that God transforms us from the inside out, not the outside in. So it's great that we have laws in the country, and we respect and honour the laws in the country where they where they comply with the scriptures and the Bible. Um, but in, I've been a Christian in my forty-first year as a Christian, and I've mostly for forty years been in leadership. And in 20, 23 years in Josh, we uh, were something like 17, 18 years in our our church up in Durban. And then um, 23 years in Josh Jen as a church. And I, I'm not aware, and I'm fairly uh, uh, up to date with what's going on. I'm not aware of any gender-based violence within the life of Josh Jen in 23 years. You know, um, I may have missed a situation here and there. And in, in our Durban church, I remember only one incident of a guy... Um, who was uh, physical towards his wife. I'm encouraged by that because God transforms. You know, you can put laws in place and you can have your police force and social workers, but when God comes and changes people, for me, that's an indication of God. God has changed men and shaped men and, and worked in them to bring them to a place of freedom, to love their wives as Christ would love their wives, uh, would have loved them, and to express that love. And, um, you know, we see we, even within the life of churches right now, especially in the, in the Western world, where there's a great war going on uh, for, for rulership and for government. You know, within the life of churches, where uh, you know, and, and quite well-known people are, are changing their viewpoint of uh, where women fit into the life of a church and the, and the ministry that is available. And we need to clear up some things because, uh, you know, if you've focused on eternity and you realize that eternity is millions of years long, and this life is so brief. It really is just a tiny little life in the the spectrum of the big picture. We shouldn't be tussling for power and for rulership. Um, We should find out and settle what God says. Uh, Jesus was equal to God the Father, yet the Bible tells us he came and he chose to lower himself. And that's our example, that's our role model for men and for women, where he lowered himself and took instructions from the Father by choice. And I'm going to read a scripture which indicates the credible example that Jesus set for us in this. We're not here to rule over each other and to reign over each other and to lord it over each other, to dominate one another. Um, If we're in that situation, then we've got it wrong. We've got to find the truth in what God says. So today I want to talk about a father, a son, a husband, and what will that look like? Because not all men will get married. So I mean, Paul the Apostle who wrote most of the New Testament wasn't married that we know about Potentially, there is an opinion that he could have been married. He could have been divorced previously. There is a hint of that, but most of we know him as a single man. Uh, Peter, he said, was married. He mentioned that. You know, he compared himself to Peter the Apostle. Uh, Jesus wasn't married, and uh, he's our role model. He's our example, and so you know, Paul even said, you know, in this life it may not be best to get married because of the troubles and the problems um, of this life, and so. But marriage is still honored. It's still a good thing in God. So we don't put that out of hand. Um, So Jesus represented true manhood. That's really the role model we're looking at. How did Jesus do it? And uh, how do we follow him in all this? And and manhood is not the size of your physical being. Whether you play rugby and eat, you know, tiger steaks and gunpowder soup, Uh, you know, that's not a sign of manhood. By any means, and men's meetings, I, I, I don't enjoy men's meetings. They get all the men to roar like lions, you know. That's, that's a sign now that we're all men. Um, manhood is so much more than that, so much deeper and so much uh, broader than that. And we need to find, so t- first of all, I want to start with the identity of who we are in Christ. And that applies to men and women. But we do know, let's, can you put up, uh, Dirk, can you put up um, Genesis one twenty six, please? Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and of all the creatures that move along the ground." That's that's amazing that we are sitting here today. We're made in the image of the living God, um, not only outwardly, misrobably, but probably deeper and uh, in the likeness of God, of of being able to express. And um, we're the top of the food chain in this on this planet. You know, we determine whether elephants live and where the lions live. They may be king in their areas and, and dominate in their areas, but ultimately we, 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 they become extinct because of us. So there's a rulership that we have over this earth, but we don't have in a sense. Um, I'll explain that in a moment. So God said we made in his image, and we've got to settle that. We've got to, I, I believe God wants to bring a revelation always in terms of the preaching of his word and uh, times of meeting that the revelation of who you are in Christ Jesus, who you are in God, and uh, to find out how to work that out and live that out in this life. And then Genesis 2 verse 15, it says... The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So straight away it kicks off that we go into a place of work. Even in eternity, I believe there will be working. But it won't be by the sweat and the way that we understand work in this life. So God sees work as a noble thing. I was, in the, I was in the business world for 24 years and even had my own business for seven years, so work is, is beautiful in God's eyes. It shouldn't become our God, though, and, and, cap, and, and, and capture our hearts, but it is a noble and honorable thing in God's eyes to, to work and uh, not just to sit around all the time and, and do nothing. Uh, and then Genesis 2.24 Um and then he, then he talks about all the creation and how God created everything and the animals and the beasts and everything. And, it, uh, and then he, uh, he mentions Eve, and then he backtracks and starts talking about Eve uh, and her creation coming out of the, the rib and the side of man, uh, created from the, the flesh of man. And, uh, and then he talks about... Um, and the description of a man and a woman and how they will look. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And that is actually a mystery in itself. There's so much mystery. You know, we want to understand God. We want to wrestle every thought and, and uh, every understanding in Scripture. But And we're going to read in a moment in, in about Ephesians 5 where it talks about the mystery. There's lo- so much that's mysterious in terms of what the future holds. I don't know what eternity looks like fully. I don't know fully what we're going to do in eternity. All I know, there's something inside of us that God has given us faith for salvation and faith for walking in this life, and, and we're pointing towards the next life. There's an excitement about what God has got in store for us. He said, no eyes has heard, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what God has prepared for those who love Him. And so there's an incredible faith that rises up in us to live this life Pointed to the next life. Because this whole life is just a, a lead in to the real life which is to come. And and so the marriage is a temporary thing. Jenny and I have been married 39 years, 1982, next year's 40. Um, and you know, God put us together to partner in this life, to journey in this life. And he says, you know, that that in the eternity Again, it's a mystery what that will be. You know, who will Jenny be to me in eternity? Because he said, now the giving of marriage in eternity, Jesus was explaining. uh, So I don't know what our relationship will be like in eternity and what it will look like and uh, what our response to each other will be. But in this life, God has called us into partnership to journey through this life. And he's given us different ingredients inside of us to make that possible. Men and women are created by God and we're created very differently. The DNA is stamped apparently through every single cell in your body of male and female. You, Whatever you want to do, you can't change that. That is what God has stamped through us. There's nothing you can do to change that. And our, our responses to life, our responses to situations are very different all the time. The way we see life, um, the way we do life is going to always be very different. And it's quite a challenge to be married. Those who are married will agree, yeah? It's quite a, quite a challenge. I don't know why I looked at you, Andre, but I just did. And uh, I could have looked at Barry. Um, anybody here, for that matter, Corbus, you know, be honest, it's, marriage is a challenge. Men and women approach a relationship very differently, They approach situations very differently. And we can, we can fight over that, or we can celebrate it and embrace it, our differences. Because even amongst the same gender, you get difference of opinion, difference of thought in terms of your gifting and your personality, um, and so we. I don't. This morning, I don't want to say we have to reclaim manhood as men. Um, I think we need to walk in what God intended right from the beginning, and walk in it as the best that we know how in this life. Um, in in Matthew three, seventeen. Uh, Just after Jesus got baptized, and we were in Israel about a year and a half ago, and they took us to, they think, the spot in the Jordan River where he was baptized. And uh, it's quite powerful when you get there and think, this is where Jesus got baptized. And this is what the Father said to him as he came out the water. So the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Um, He was obedient to the Father. You know, John even said, well, I don't need to baptize you. I mean, you you know, you're the Messiah. And he said, no, do it uh, because of... of, um, Compliance with what God wants to be done. And, um, and so we get, we get, there's a voice. Everyone heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, whom I, with him I'm well pleased. And the Bible says was as, as fathers, as sons, uh, as daughters, we call to please God in every way. And I want us to settle this morning identity in Christ. Who are we? Um, if you're forever wrestling about who you are, and uh, the security that you have and knowing that you're a son, um, ladies, give me some latitude this morning just to speak to the men, because it will be of benefit to you if the men are walking in what God's called them to walk in, um, and, and just for men to, to find themselves in Christ this morning. Um, we've just gone over 12 o'clock this afternoon, and... Um, that you will find settle who you are in Christ. That you are a son. You are a son. You're adopted. You're called into. Jesus was the first brother, the scripture tells us. And we are those who adopted in as brothers behind him and with him. And he's our, he's our buddy. He's our brother. And uh, our same, we have the same father. That's incredible that we adopted into this family. And we have this adoption in place. Um, it's interesting in Scripture, if you, when I looked in the concordance, when I was preparing for this time, um, you look up the word son. It's just pages of it, pages of the word, of the word son. Pages and pages of, of ref, Scripture references to the word son. And people always refer to as, and Jesus is always referred to, mostly as the son of man, son of David, uh, the son of God. And whenever they refer to people, they always say, oh, him, the son of. This guy, the son of, all of them, always this, they always referred to them, they always referred to their lineage, where they came from. That was an, uh, uh, described where they came from. So when, when you are referred to, God refers, looks at you now, and you are son of the living God. You're not just your name. You're not just Stan. You're not just who you are. You are Stan, son of the living God, adopted in. And so that's why, that, that understanding is very powerful. Even Jesus, all the time, as I said, they refer to him always as the son of. Never just said, hey, Jesus, you. It was always the son of. That was your lineage. That was what identified you. That's what authenticated you, is where you came from. Who is your daddy? There's a sense of belonging. And Hebrews 5, can we put up Hebrews 5, verse 5 to 10? Um, So Christ did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. He didn't take it on himself. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, who is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard... Because of his reverent submission, Here he was equal, okay. And then he lowered himself. He came, born in the body of a man, um, and he became incarnate for a moment in his body, but he was always God incarnate to himself and who he was. And uh, but he was heard because of his reverent submission. So, if you want to be heard. Get below, get get down. The way up in the kingdom of God is always opposite to the world. If you want to go up, you go down. Sit at the bottom of the table and you will get invited to the top. Come in reverence submission submission to God and say, Lord, here I am, just your son. That's what Jesus did. Here I am. What do you say, Father? He said, I say and do nothing except what my father says I must do. That was Jesus himself who did that. And as men, as we, as we lead our own lives, you've got to learn to lead your own life, men. You've got to learn to lead it well. They have a major problem in, 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 in first world countries, and I'll use the United Kingdom, Britain as an example. They call it laddish. A Lad is like a little boy. They call it laddish behavior, where in, in, in England the men don't want to grow up. They don't want to take responsibility. They just want to be little boys all the time and just get drunk and, and go crazy and do weird things. And you see, now we get extreme everything. Because normal is not enough. You've got, to, you've got to make everything extreme now. And there's a pushing, pushing of boundaries all the time to become more weird and more different. The statistics for South Africa, I read it in the newspaper a while back, 80% of the young men in South Africa, um, and th- I'm, I'm, this is what I'm just quoting you, the newspaper, what the article said, it, it broke it down into racial groups, not my study, it's a study that they've done in South Africa, they said 80% of, of black males in South Africa, only 20%, they represent 20% of the, of the population, um, only 20% have got a father figure involved in their life. Amongst the colored folk, um, only 50% have got a father involved in their life. And amongst the whites and Indians, uh, only 80%, 80%, which is also bad, it may sound better than the other ones, but only 80% have got a father involved in their lives. And, and, and we need mom and daddies. A lot of single moms say, yeah, but I raised my kids fine. Well done. You did great. There's nothing wrong with that. And they have done a great job. But women have to, have to shoulder and take the load of society way, way too much. Because men have abdicated. They've moved away from taking responsibility for what they produce. It's easy to have sex. It's easy to produce a child. It doesn't take big effort. But to... Look after that child and to raise it in this life. Because it, God gave us mother and father for a good reason. Because there's qualities in each that we need as, as people as we grow in this world. That's the that's situation we're, we're dealing with in today's terms. Um, let's get back to verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience as a, because he... he, he subjected himself, he brought himself down into living in a human body, and yet you, the Bible says that he faced all the trials and temptations that we face in this life, and he had to overcome them in terms of, you remember, we body, uh, soul, and spirit, and even in Jesus, he had to deal with a Rebellion, a glory, a sexual temptation, everything. Because we see he was tempted in the desert. And the Father allowed him to be tempted in the desert. And the devil, this world, is ruled. Why is there so much evil in this world? Why is there so much hardship in this world? Because the Bible says the prince of this world is the devil, not God. God is over the devil. He has ultimate control. He could step in at any moment and take back control. But he's chosen because men have handed over authority to the devil. We know that through Adam and Eve as they handed over authority to God's enemy, the devil. And we are living in that period right now until the culmination of the ages where Jesus is coming back for his bride. But we're not there yet. So we're living in a broken, fallen world which is overseen by the enemy. Jesus referred to him as the prince of this world. And the majority of the world are captured to him. And we are called as a church to come into people's lives, to present the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that people's lives can be born again, changed from within, and, um, and become like Jesus uh, with, with obedient to Christ. And, so, and once made perfect, Jesus had to be made perfect. Although he was perfect, he had to become perfect by overcoming the temptations of this world. And he never sinned. And he was sinless, but he was faced with every single temptation that we had and became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So we can see that Jesus learned obedience. So men, you have to learn obedience. All of us, every single man on this planet has to learn obedience. And so unfortunately some men were abused emotionally, physically uh, in their youth. And so growing up, there's a lot of broken men, a lot. And they don't know what a good role model is. They don't know what a good man should be. I was one of them. I had to learn, age of 21, got born again, and I had to press restart and discover what is a godly man. I didn't know. I had, to I had to find out and go to Scripture, and I watched other men. I watched husbands. I watched other men, how they did their lives in God, and I just drank from their lives. Like Paul says in the, in the, in the letters he wrote, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow my example, he said, as I follow Christ. He, he said, I will send you Timothy, who will remind you of my way of life. So we're called as men to learn from each other. Look for the godly, mature men amongst us and learn from them. I'm still learning. I watch other men. How do they do this right? How do they do that right? I realize I've got so many weaknesses and failures, and I don't do things right. I don't get it right as much as I'd like to, because I want to please my Lord. I want to please my God. I get it wrong often in terms of our marriage. I make mistakes continuously. Um, I wish I was the perfect husband. I'm not. Or the perfect father. I'm not. Um, But I'm striving in a good way. People Panic when they hear the word striving. Because the Bible does say strive for perfection. It does say that. And striving doesn't mean you're doing it in your own effort. Striving means I'm doing it in God's power through the Holy Spirit to become what He wants me to become. Because many times I throw my hands up and say, God, I need help. I need wisdom. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know. I can't see my blind spots. I can't see my weaknesses often. And sometimes we need each other to highlight and step in and say, you know what, you need a bit of, little bit of tweaking here and there in terms of how to be a husband, how to be a father. Can we read 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, please? Therefore, come out from them. God has spoken about uh, the world and the church and Christians. He says, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. If you want to be a son and a daughter of the living God, you've got to separate yourself out from the things of this world. The things of this world will not help you to become Christ-like or take you further in terms of how you want to be in Christ. Let's look at a godly man. A godly man, well, he provides, he protects, he initiates, he provides vision, direction for himself, and then overflow into his marriage and his family. And uh, in our dealings with uh, ladies, so many times, I can't tell you how many times, women have really wanted their husbands to rise up and lead. Because they know it's the biblical way. They know, they know it's what God says. It's pretty clear in his word. And the husbands often don't want to take that responsibility. They don't want to step forward and, and, and lead properly. Number one, they may not know how. Number two, they're scared of making a mistake and looking foolish. Um, so we've got to find out, first of all, how and, and, um, and why. And which, which way do we go? Where to from here? And... Uh, It's interesting that God, even in your salvation, if you're here today and you're born again, that you suddenly have this revelation of Jesus, the only way that happened was because God reached out to you through Jesus. He lifted the veil so you could see Jesus. He reached out to you, you responded, and you became a Christian. You didn't make the way. Jesus made the way. He initiates. That's why we see in all the pictures of, of, um, of people getting engaged it's the man who proposes, because it's the, it's the biblical picture that we have from the Genesis to Revelation is of, man, of a male and female figure, and always the male figure uh, initiating. It's Jesus working in his bride, Jesus watching over his bride, Jesus perfecting his bride, Jesus waiting for his bride, Jesus coming to fetch her. There's, there's always God working, reaching out to us and us responding. We are all the bride of Christ. Men do struggle to get their minds around that as being a bride. We, we, bride, we are a groom as well as a bride. And, you know, and that we're called to respond to God in every way. And, and ladies are called to respond to their husbands. But it's not a dominance thing. We've got to break this mindset. It's a worldly, now we we see it in the worldly speech right now. The most hated person on the planet right now is is probably a white male. Um, There's a huge onslaught that they are evil, as I mentioned earlier, toxic masculinity and all these things. And whenever the enemy attacks something good, you know it's good. Whenever the devil, he attacks, Marriage years ago started really, I would say, it was probably in the 1960s. The 1960s um, was a real revolution in the Western world, um, massive social revolution. The pool was available was because of contraceptive, so people could be more promiscuous now without fear of pregnancy. Um, you know, a lot of countries became, they didn't become more tolerant, they've become more immoral. They, you know, a lot of the countries today would consider themselves very tolerant towards any idea. Any idea, as long as you don't harm someone else, is fine. There's no absolutes anymore in the world in terms of morality. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As the church, we can't stand on that street corner and shout and scream and carry on and, and tell the world to change. We've got to tell people about Jesus. That's all we can do. And that they would respond and become changed from within. That's The only way you change society is by changing hearts but t- turning hearts towards God. And once that happens, the rest falls into place normally with a bit of teaching in terms of the Word of God and people responding to it. So as men, we're called to lead in terms of our families. You, men don't dominate and rule over women just generally in, in natural terms. But in terms of marriage, God has, uh, has called men to, to lead. And, uh, and many men don't want that responsibility Uh, Because often the women are are smarter than the men. Uh, In the modern world, the women are able to earn more sometimes than men. And uh, there's so many dynamics at play that sometimes men feel threatened. And they'd rather just go and bury themselves in a hobby, uh, you know, go fishing, surfing, motorbikes, cars, uh, golf, bicycle riding, where they can display their masculinity. Because there's one area that women can't beat us in, and that's the physical side. So that's why men will drift towards that and say, well, you can't touch us in this area. Because God made us, we are at least, I think it's 20% physically stronger than women in, in, on average. Um, and so men will default to that. Uh, and they will hide away and go and get themselves caught up in something that that's, they feel safe and secure and, and not face up to leading in their families and being the role model in their families. So a good man takes responsibility and he walks in the authority that God has given us. With authority comes responsibility. Um, So how to walk like a godly husband. Ephesians uh, 5, did I give that to you? Yeah, I did. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And I always remind people that I don't tell Jenny to do that. That's between her and God. That's the word of God to her. I never force her to submit to me. Um, I must just do what, my instruction from God is. Um, and we've seen it happen so much in society where men have used scriptures and things against women. They'll use that scripture against their wives. And that's why sometimes there's such a twisted understanding of, uh, of a biblical husband. Um, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. So wives, you can make it a lot easier for the husbands if you, if you choose to submit within a godly framework. Okay? I'm not, I don't believe the Scripture is ever telling you to obey your husband if he's outside of a godly authority, if he's doing things that are ungodly. Um, that's completely... I'll give you an example. We often we get this question come to us. A, a wife will be saved, she'll be sitting here on her own, and a husband will be out sitting at home uh, doing playing golf or something, and is not in the church. And and she's now caught. My husband says, you may not go to church. And uh, now she's, now what do I do? Do I submit to my husband? Or do I go to, see the Bible says you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I can lead you guys as far as you'll come with me. Uh, but I can't force you. And I can't, and no husband can go beyond the word of God. And So every one of us, is called to be first and foremost a son and a daughter of, of, of the Father. Secondly, we've got this temporary relationship of marriage. So that, so if I told Jenny, you may not go to church, she should disobey me in that area. Because it's an ungodly thing and I've just told her to do. Because the Bible's very clear that we called to be part of a body, work out your salvation. She's got to first and foremost work on her salvation and her walk with God. Secondly, she's a, hus- she's a wife to me. So... For me, that's pretty clear um, that in that instance, that a a wife would defy a husband. In fact, a well-known guy called Smith Wigglesworth in the eighteen hundreds, he became apostle of faith. He worked massive miracles, and uh, he was a plumber. And uh, he forbade his wife to go to church. She says, "I love you, but I'm going to church." You says, "You go to church, I'm locking you out." He did. She came home, and the door was locked, and she had to sleep outside. And uh, it gets pretty cold in England. And the morning he opened the door, and there she was. She got up, and he said, what would you like for breakfast, dear? And that just won his heart. It just broke him. And he couldn't believe that she loved him through all that. You know, most women come on screaming, shouting, what do you think you're doing? Making me sleep outside. What kind of husband are you? Um, You know, she she just knew how to win him for Jesus. And the only way I can do this is express Jesus to him in the worst of situations. And so... Godly woman, and he became a powerful man in Christ. 1 Timothy 3, verse... uh, No, let's not go there. Um, I think just for the sake of time. um, I was going to go through the qualities of an elder, uh, which would describe every person, really, and and especially... But here's the scripture. Put up Colossians 3, verse 19. It's amazing, because God designed us, and the designer always knows the faults. You know, when cars give problems, often the factory will issue... The, the workshops to recall a car because there's something gone wrong in the design. They know that car. They've picked up the fault. And so they designed it. They know how it works. And God designed us. He knows how we work. He knows our weaknesses as men and women. And it's interesting, he, this, this scripture comes through his husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Why? Because husbands are often very harsh with their wives. They get frustrated with their wives. They get... Sometimes I've seen... <laughs> I won't go into some of the extreme situations I've seen where women can normally speak a lot better than men. They're much better verbally. And the men get, um, get uh, they get, corn- they feel cornered. They feel like they, they can't out argue their wife. Their wife was giving them quite a beating in terms of verbally. And so they often will, in the worldly sense, resort to violence. And that is a problem in South Africa and many countries around the world where, and I've seen men threaten their wives unsaved. Um, and I've seen it a couple of occasions, um, and i had to step in uh, on one of the situations, and um, because they get frustrated, and like they, what have they got? They got physical, so they want to want to beat, and um, and so and but then even possibly even worse than maybe not depends on your viewpoint, but is emotional beating that you can give to someone where you break someone down emotionally, and husbands can be very harsh in their speech towards their wives. And I've seen women who just trembling. They're too scared to say anything, do anything, because their husbands are around and, and their husbands have dominated and hurt them so much with their language and the way they speak to them. And So God knew that it would be our weakness, men, that we would lean towards being harsh with our wives. And we've got to work on that and be aware of it And because Christ was gentle. Uh, he was gentle and, and fruit of the Holy Spirit is and, uh, in Galatians 5. One of the fruits is gentleness. Uh, Love, kindness. So, uh, yeah. So, husbands walk like a like godly men. Um, Be be um, upright and righteous, and you will get respect. Because sometimes husbands demand respect. You know, they'll demand this and demand that without walking in a way and making it easy for their wives to respect and honor them, and to submit to them. And The decisions are often very bad, and uh, after a while, the wife says, how do I trust this guy going forward? It could be finances, the way he spends the money, uh, decisions he makes in terms of life and where they're living and moving them around all the time. The husband fights all the time at work, and he doesn't want anyone telling him what to do, and he goes through job after job after job, and uh, it's always the job's fault, it's always the boss's fault, never theirs, and the poor wife has to follow this guy all around the country. And I've seen it in churches where People church, go through churches it's the same way. I don't like this church. I don't like what happens here. We're out of here. And the poor wife gets dragged. She just made friendships, relationships. The kids have made friends. The whole family suffers as the husband gets miffed and he gets, walks out and takes his... That's why I've been in two churches in 41 years. Have I got reason to leave churches? All the time. Many times. Um, I'm just human. I get upset. I get angry about things. I don't agree. I don't like this. I don't like that. But guess what? God says, I've put you here. What are you looking for? Faithful man, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful means I accept you for your differences. I accept you for, hey, this church, we're not a perfect church, Josh, Jen. We make mistakes. We get it wrong. Um, many times we do make wrong decisions. We, make, we go in the wrong direction. But overall, we don't. We, we normally follow God quite well. Um, and we, we see the fruit of that and the reproduction in people's lives. And they always look for the people's lives. I'm always watching Durbanville to see the fruit in people's lives because that will be a reflection of my leadership in this, congreg- in this congregation. If I'm getting it right or wrong, according to Scripture, not my opinion, but I, 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 comp- I weigh your lives against Scripture, are you dedicated to God? Are you following Him? Is there fruit in your lives uh, that's ever from Scripture, based on Scripture? Um, if I don't see that, then I've got to ref- look at myself because I'm called to lead this congregation. It means I'm leading you wrong. I'm opening, and if I sin in any area, I'm opening a door into your lives. So I'm watching all the time if something's happening here, it will reflect on my life. And likewise with a husband, your children, your family, will reflect on your lives and how you're leading. I know you can't always take all the responsibility because even God, the Father, was the perfect Father, and right in the beginning they rebelled straight away. They didn't listen to Him. And even a time when God said, I regret Making man, I'm going to destroy them. That's our heavenly Father. We see all the time. Even though you've got a perfect Father, you can still sometimes get rebellious children. It's very clear in Scripture. So fathers don't feel guilty. All the, you know, if you've it's a, it's a. There's two sides to this discussion and and this pres- what we're talking about. Okay, uh, so we're talking about a God. Deep, I've drifted into about a godly husband, a godly father. Um, Ephesians uh, six verse four, please. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And and a lot of times, as fathers, we can make things so difficult for our kids. We exasperate them. We we uh, we call them to get frustrated and not able to. We speak bad things over them. I've seen parents say the most stupid things over their children. Bad things would crush their little hearts. Because you, like rep- you represent God to them, you know. You're, you're representing the Father's image to them. And if you get it wrong, they're going to grow up with the wrong image of the Father. I can remember one friend, he said he's, he was standing on, a, on a, a wall. His dad says, Jump, jump. And he jumped, and his dad stepped out the way and he landed flat on his face. He said, There, my boy, never learn to trust anybody. I'm thinking, What kind of a lesson have you just taught your son? Really? That's the most doff thing I've ever heard. Um, so we're called to model how Christ, how our Heavenly Father, would love us and care for us. We've got to model that to our children. So they grow up with a healthy image of what does a father look like. Because I mean, they're going to pass on what they receive. So when they get married one day, you know, I, I remember this one pastor saying, his sole responsibility for his daughter is to raise her up and get her ready for her husband. Because fathers often think, this is my daughter, it's mine, you know, I'm grudgingly handing over to some man. Uh, but he says, my whole purpose is to raise her up so that she's going to be a godly woman and a godly wife to her husband. And that's exactly the picture of the church. Paul said, I want to present you as a virgin to the father, to Jesus, sorry. And uh, he says, my job is to train you, to equip you, to get you ready for that day for, for the for the bridegroom, Jesus, when he comes to fetch his bride. And we called him. Also, we have a responsibility to prepare ourselves, the Bible says, make ourselves ready for when Jesus comes. And the Bible says that he's also working in us and making us ready. So there's a multiple role aspect there to that. Um, Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not embitter your children they'll become discouraged. You know, don't break them down, as I said earlier, the feet of the Scripture. Um, allow them freedom to grow. Allow them freedom uh, to rise up within the, the boundaries that you set them. But don't set the boundaries too tight or they'll grow up little robots and they won't know how to operate and find God for themselves. Uh, so don't embitter your children. Don't, don't uh, uh, hurt them through your words and how you, how you handle them. Be so aware that they've been lent to you. The children have been given to you as a gift to raise up for Christ. Speak vision, encouragement, and correct gently with children. Speak vision over their lives. Point the way forward. Because people can't always see the way forward. They're little children. They don't know what to expect. Their, their outlook on life is so limited and they're growing. But, cre- but create a relationship that they will listen to you. You know, I've, I worked very hard with my three sons to create a good relationship with them. Today they're all in their 30s and they, they come to us for advice. They, they, want, they push into us and they build into us all the time. And, uh, because, but we created that. But I'm, I'm still their father. I'm not their buddy. But I am their buddy. If that makes sense, we do stuff together. We go holidays together. We go biking together, boating together. Um, I can't water ski anymore. I'm too not strong enough. But we uh, we do stuff together. We do life together. Um, but we worked hard to create that environment and that relationship. So what's the way forward? Uh, let's read Romans eight. Coming into land, we're only going to make this an hour meeting. We're going to have a little bit of time of worship now as well before we close at quarter two. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Um, The obligation. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And sons sometimes a very inclusive word of of women as well. It's not exclusive. It's just often a cultural understanding of the time. But when they refer to sons, they will often be meaning men and women uh, in that context. Um, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, although we may also share in his glory. So this morning, do you all accept that you are heirs of God, that you co-heirs with Jesus, and an heir is someone who inherits something, and we're inheriting our salvation. A Great salvation, together we're doing this as men and women, husbands and wives, with our children. We're all going forward to get our different roles and responsibilities. Um, but there is sometimes going to be challenges and difficulties in this life that we need to overcome and get breakthrough on. And we, when we do marriage counseling with people, we'll often say, how come we're counseling you and you're not counseling us? And the reason is quite simple. We've just been obedient to Christ and you haven't. We've got nothing special. We're not better than you. We're not greater than you. But the fact is that we've just said, Lord, if you say it, we want to do it. Um, When the Bible says don't go to bed angry, we make sure that we do that, that we sort things out before we go to bed. Because when you go to bed, when you're sleeping at night, and so many people, I've experienced as well, get demonic attacks at night. Uh, Because that's when you're in a, in a, uh, a, a weakened state. You're not conscious. So you're in a place of vulnerability in a sense. Um, and if you don't deal with sin and, and kill it right there at, that, at the entry point, it'll come in and it'll settle in your spirit and your soul. I don't, that's also a bit of a mystery, but it does. It takes root. You've given it an opportunity now to take root. So you wake up in the morning, you're grumpy, you, you won't talk, and, and please don't ever do that when you don't talk to one another. That's sulking, that's childish. Paul said, enough, you know, once I was a child, I acted like a child. Now that I've become a man, I act like a man. We've got to, you know, you can have a, outwardly, you can have a man's body, but inwardly you're like a little child. You know, drugs especially, alcohol, any form of, uh, of a side, sideways movement, instead of going forward and dealing with a problem, what we find with drug guys who depend on drugs, um, they don't grow up. Because when they hit a problem, they go to the drugs to, to calm them down, smoking cigarettes. Um, uh, it calms you down. It settles you in, the, in your soul. But you should have gone to God. And so consequently, you never actually deal with problems. You just keep bypassing the problem. Instead of going through the problem, because men do, they go through the problem, they deal with it. A boy will go sideways because he hasn't learned how to do manly ways. And so you find people grow, they get older, they get gray hair, but uh, they come into a difficult situation. You you see a, a childish response often, an immature response, because they haven't dealt with things in a mature way. And so if you want to be a son of the living God, face down any situation, Jesus face down, uh, his difficult moments. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was, it was a tremendously traumatic time for Jesus. We went to the Garden of Gethsemane, also a year and a half ago. It was quite powerful to be in that place. Um, and Jesus faced down the issues that he was going for, and he was going through. and, and uh, So the way forward for me, I put, put four points here. Number one, accept your identity in Christ, which I spoke about in the beginning. Accept who you are in Christ, and remind yourself, remind the enemy of who you are in Christ Jesus. Because I think we lose track of that. We feel often the enemy's ways are always divisive. He'll divide us away from Jesus, away from the Father. So when you're away, you're vulnerable and you're weakened. But if you stay close to Jesus, close to the Father, in the Holy Spirit, you will grow and you will overcome. So accept your identity in Christ. Who are you? Remind the enemy who you are in Christ Jesus. Remind yourself who you are in Christ Jesus. You're his brother and you've got a heavenly father. Um, and he's, Jesus is always praying for us. You know that? He just sits at the right hand of the Father. He's, pr- he's praying for you by name right now. Praying for you. He was watching over your life, protecting, always trying to bring you through and bring you closer to him and uh, to encourage you. Even in this life, you may have hardship, but he'll bring you through in those places of hardship. Number two, in, uh, ask for wisdom. In James 1, it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. So I've got to be honest, we all need wisdom from God, not man's wisdom. Not woman's wisdom. We need the wisdom of God to get through this life. So go to God. Say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. Sometimes he will give wisdom through people. He will, there is wisdom. God says that. Uh, wise understanding. And some get perspective from other people. But ask God for wisdom. Number, two, number three, watch and learn, which I mentioned earlier. Watch and learn. Don't be proud. I don't need anybody to teach me. I'll, I know what to do. You don't. You don't. And one of the greatest things is to go as a man is to, to, to deal with pride. Why do women get saved? You go into churches so often and this is full of women. Because they respond to this. They know how to respond to this beautiful Jesus, a wonderful Jesus. Men are proud. I'll do it my way. No man will tell me what to do. And, uh, you know, just me and eventually, you know, there's so many rebellious ways amongst men. And men break things open. I have to say this. In society, you see men of—it's—it's it's more than just that The fact that they had opportunity. There's something in men of pioneering, uh, of breaking things open. All the inventions of this world, the guys will think about going to the moon. You may say, "Yeah," because women were kept—you know—they wouldn't give them opportunity. But there's there's more to it than just not opportunity. There's definitely so you, who does all the weird things in life. Why is there women's insurance for women drivers? You know, men have got something in them that God has wired into them to step out and to push through and to break through into things that women don't have. They, I'm not saying they're weaker. It doesn't mean they're weaker or, or less gifted. They're gifted in another way. It's not who's better. Who, you know, it's just a, we're both equal in Christ Jesus. Galatians tells us that, talking about our salvation experience. He says, neither male nor female. There's some in, incredible things about women which men just don't come close to touching and, and walking in. We need each other desperately. Watch and learn. And number four, last one, go and do. Go and do, men. Go out there. Do. Don't be always talking but never doing. A lot of talkers, there's lots of talkers, but not many step out and do things. And so as men, go and do. Show your children how to go and do. Uh, Pioneer things. Break things open. In society, we, um, yeah, I mean, uh, please don't get me wrong in terms of sexist talk and things like that. It's not, those who know me, no, I wouldn't be like that. But for guys who may not know me, it's not what I mean when I say this. Um, you see how men, in, I'll use England as an example again, because a lot of studies come out of that country. You know, those men who always went to the pub and got drunk and did stupid things. And, and the woman stayed home often and looked after children. But now they've because of the, things have changed so much and shifted so much, women have got more of a problem with getting binge drinking in the UK than men. Um, it was men who swore all the time, and in my genera- my time, if a man, man would never swear in front of a woman, he'd be embarrassed if he did that, and it was disrespectful. Now I, I, I like comedy; I sometimes watch comedy comedians. And I can't watch most of them. They just swear so much. And, and I look, they pan the audience, and it's just gray-haired ladies, and, you know, and they're all laughing. And I think, how did we get here? You know, How did we get here? Such a breakdown in morals and a breakdown of, of uh, living in a godly way. Uh, I know it's just the world, so I can't judge them in that sense. But you just see where men have done stuff, and women said, "Oh, no, we want to be like men. But often they copy men in the worst possible way. You know, and so, yeah, we, we've got to find uh, better examples as, as men. Um, just live as men. And, and it, doesn't requ- yeah, it doesn't mean bullying uh, and dominating uh, in the family. You find some very selfish men in families. Barry, do you want to come up with your team? Let's worship our God now. Um, so if you're a man, if God is, I hope God, and not Russell, has poked you in the, in the heart in, a, in some way or form, um, let's stand. And uh, if you're a man, and if anybody's watching over there, uh, that, uh, that you take responsibility this morning for your life and for those that God's entrusted to you as, as a family. Um, you've got to, as if you're a father, you've got very short time to impact your children uh, before they start becoming independent in a sense, and leaving the family home. So, yeah, there could be some repentance required this morning from men. If you haven't done it according to God's way, you haven't laid down your life, you should be at the, you should be at the bottom of the family as a man, as you're leading, because Christian leadership is always at the bottom. That you lead by example, you put yourself last, um, that you put, the, you put your wife, your family first. The best gift you can give to your children is to love your wife is Christ loves the church. They're going to see that and take that into their marriages, how you treated your wife, um, how you laid your life down, how you laid your wallets down for your family. And I, I remember grow, when I became a Christian and married at 23 and a father at 24, um, I, I, I shut down all my stuff that I spent money on myself and I spent on the family. Um, I went without so that the family could have. And uh, I just felt that's what Jesus would want, that uh I put myself last in the queue. Um, and as dads, yeah, we to self and we live for Christ. So if the Lord's spoken to you in any way, if you need to activate yourself more as a, as a man and rise up and, um, and lead, then, then make a decision this morning that you're going to do that. You may need to repent that you haven't led properly and you haven't loved properly as Christ would have you. There's forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy. But go and do it now. Change. Don't be ever talking and say, I'm going to change tomorrow. Change today and make a decision to do it today. Father, we come to you this morning and this afternoon and just present ourselves as men, as fathers, as sons, as husbands, as brothers, all these different roles that we have. And we just lay them at your feet and say, Lord, help us. We need help. We don't always know how to do this. Give us wisdom. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who guards us and all this and brings us into a place of breakthrough and uh, walking in him. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Let's worship now. We've only got a few minutes. um, But let's worship and uh, commit ourselves to, to serving him.